guys, welcome back to the first book episode of 2020, and we are going to cover A Duke by Default, which I actually read in 2019, but it was during my depressive episode, so I kind of didn't cover it, but I really loved it. And there's actually going to be a little bit more about that in a minute. I just wanted to let you guys know that this episode's a few days late because I'm going to try and keep it on the 15th and the 30th of every month. However, there's been a little bit of a cock up with my getting married side of this. We have to get some paperwork done and it kind of created a little bit of an issue. However, we think it's going to get fine. So a little bit of a lapse the next couple episodes, but I'm trying to get them out as soon as possible. Like I said, I'm going to try for the 15th and the 30th of every month. I think that's a good schedule and it kind of gives you guys a chance to listen to other episodes of other shows too and see what they're doing. Okay, so before we go into the book, I want to talk a little bit about the RWA shit show again. There's been some movement that, it, it, there's always something going on, honestly. But uh, the president-elect, Carolyn Jewell, stepped down in December, and then there was a petition that actually would have called for president-elect Damon Swade to be removed as well. He rolled and bounced, which, good idea. And the executive director, Carol Ritter, left, but she's still in charge of some things. And it's a little bit awkward because it's the internal or the internal like audit on what the hell happened with Courtney Milan. And honestly, the media is kind of driving me a little bit crazy because so many of them do not understand what's going on in this. Courtney Milan was a jumping off point, but she wasn't the only point. Like... How many people on Twitter were following what happened in August about the racism and the Sue Grimshaw and all this kind of stuff? There was there was so much going on. And I was on Twitter at the time. I couldn't really record much, but I was on Twitter and I was watching it happen. And I just wish the media would pay attention and understand the source before they start hopping off on something else. And I say that as someone who used to be a reporter. So this is not someone like randomly making the statement. It's it's made on purpose. I understand what's going on. Okay. So I'm hoping that RWA gets their shit together. I'm not real hopeful. More of anything, I hope that another organization will step up and I hope they will be a little bit smarter and a little bit brighter and they'll be a lot more inclusive. But more than that, I want them to listen to the marginalized voices that have been ignored in RWA and say, fuck that, we need to have a, a lot more inclusiveness. And I don't mean that in the, you know, like PR way. I mean, I want everyone to be inclusive. I want everyone to have a voice on the table. I want people to be able to talk about things and come across things. And so we'll see how that goes. Okay, now on to the actual episode, guys. So I read uh, Duke by Default last year, like I said, in 2019, and I loved it. Like, I, I just, I adored it. I'd never read Alyssa Cole. I think I got it on sale for like $1.99 or $2.99 or something like that. Because I usually only buy Avon books and stuff like that when they're on a deep, deep discount. Because I, just, I don't have $7.99 for every ebook I want to read or every one I want to cover on the podcast. So I try and kind of think about that with a little bit more intelligence. But I really liked the fact that the world that... Cole built is one that anyone can be a part of. It's got a little bit of regency, which everyone knows that's like my catnip. I, like it, it just it is. It's one of those things of I'm gonna probably listen to it no matter what or read it for the most part. But it's also got some modern views and it's got a lot of well, what happens? And there's this Alyssa Cole has this amazing, amazing ability to include black characters in a world without it being abnormal and by that I mean it's not some of those well I gotta do this because I've gotta add this to diversity tick point it's more like she's writing about people she knows people that she's been around people that she's come across and I just I love that because I mean her women are smart they're educated they've got strong goals, strong career goals, but they don't always have to be like Claire Huxtable either. They've got a very clear point. And I, 
I think that's hella important, you know? I actually brought up a Duke by default because of reader comment, though. I told y'all, I love it when you guys get on Twitter and you guys connect with me and you talk and we kind of create, like, a, a conversation because I think it's really... For me, it's super important because I want to hear what you guys have to say. I can talk to myself all day long in my room, and I've done that and had full conversations anyway, but I want to hear what you guys think. And Carrie Purvis, who is at Carrie Brary on Twitter, got in contact with me. She's like, hey, have you have you looked at a Duke by default for representation? You know, there's the ADHD and there's all this kind of depression and there's all these kind of like things. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. I had completely forgotten about that part because I read A Duke by Default almost a year ago. That's a lot of books in between. And I just, I wanted to know why. Like, what what inspired her to, to think this was an amazing story? And it was actually pretty interesting because she said that, and she actually gave me the notes that she, that she was writing when she was reading it. And just, you, you can feel the love and the connection and the, not necessarily the love of Portia, but the love of herself, of Carrie, uh, talking about herself. And there's just this deep bond and this need to be represented and being like, hey, this is me. This is what I do. Like, oh, my God, there's someone that sees me. And being seen is like the most important thing on the planet, I think, because it means you're not invisible. You have a voice then. And I'm going to read her what she had written up the notes, and I asked her for permission. So this is because Carrie allowed it. It said, my current, A Duke by Default by Alyssa Cole is a romance novel with a female lead who discovers she has ADHD. She is smart. She is a smart driven. Sorry. She's a smart, creative driven woman who is also disorganized, struggles to finish projects and gets so lost in her daydream she forgets to eat and cannot understand why she can't get out of her own way. I haven't gotten to the mushy romance parts, but I'm already crying because she sounds just like me. I have ADHD, and 99.99% of the time, people are surprised when I tell them, or they flat out don't believe me, because I don't fit the stereotypical ADHD mold. Finally, I get to see myself in a character who doesn't fit that mold either, and it's so validating. I can't even put into words how much this means. Like, y'all, that's amazing. That's, that's what I want to see in romance. I want to see so many people getting seen, and ADHD is something that is very stereotyped and very like niche when it comes to media because everyone's like oh they got to bounce off the walls like ticker blah 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 blah. but ADHD can come out in so many different ways there's just there's always something going and I say this as someone who whose partner is undiagnosed but I personally think it's ADHD because he can't sit still Sven cannot sit still to save this poor man's life and there's just something very validating and I can't imagine being a woman and not being able to see yourself in something and being like hey look I I matter I count like yeah I'm not your stereotypical one but I still have the this I still have this disorder that doesn't make me less than but I still matter and I I just I was floored that Carrie shared that with me because it's something so personal it's very affirming do not get me wrong but it's also very personal, and I appreciate the fact that she shared that and she opened up about it. And in the same response, um, Alyssa Cole actually responded to Carrie. She had tagged her in the tweet. And she said that, you know, she had been diagnosed as well. Alyssa Cole was diagnosed not long after the book came out. So there was a lot of, I think, self-representation in that way as well. Like, it's like, okay, well, if I'm doing this, Someone else is probably doing it too. That doesn't take it away. That doesn't make this as Mary Sue, but it is like, this is a legitimate thing that, that women in, go through. And I, I just, I was absolutely so grateful for it. Alyssa also replied in another media, um, I can't remember, it was one of the ones for the RWA shit show. And she responded that, you know, she created the Royals and this Reluctant Royal series because she wanted to see a contemporary royal. I mean, how many times do we turn on Hallmark and see the same, same, same storyline with white people? White people. Like, not biracial people, not slightly tan people. I'm talking about white people. Like, whiter than me. And I'm freaking, like, paler than pale. 
and it just it means a lot to see that and i i can't imagine reading these books and seeing that you know not everyone has to be lily white or a nice white lady to get their ending or some kind of quirky white lady anyway white and i just i was so happy to see that because you've got carrie's reaction of the adhd side and then you've got cole's you know need for putting out stuff that she wanted to read when she was younger the things that she wanted to be things that she wants to read now and creating a narrative i think a lot like bev jenkins tempest wait yeah um sorry for some reason my brain went to shakespeare because i was talking about shakespeare on twitter the other day but you know there's something very validating and not erasing what history books say because history books are often written by white men who colonize isolate and imperialize <laughs> so finding those moments really matter and i like to see cole doing this now granted i have not read a princess in theory which is the first book with letty who does sciencey things that i cannot say but either way she does things like viruses and stuff like that I should probably know them since I grew up in Atlanta and the CDC is based there, but nah, it's a science thing. Not really up my alley of knowing how to say things. But I think it's important because Cole writes these worlds where women can be more than just one thing. And I mean, you've got Letty, who's a scientist. You've got Portia, who's like a damn genius, but doesn't even realize it or know it. And then you've got the short novella that I cannot remember the name of. I think it's something ghost shy. Um, you've got that where you've got two women who are having to second chance their way through life. You've got um, Reggie's story, which is Portia's twin, which I'll talk a little bit about in a few minutes. But I mean, you've got all these different women. And then you've got um, the one that's right after a Duke by default. I think it's called A Prince on Paper. Uh, a lot of these, again, I haven't read. I have, I've read Reggie's story and I've read Portia's story. I've got the um, female film novella. I just have to read it as I see fit. Or I like woman to woman because female, female sounds like a dog and fuck that. But that's just what I see it on, on uh, Twitter as. So I just kind of like repeat what I see. But what I like is, is these women are strong and they know what they want. They are very independent of what is expected necessarily and i think that's important because as black women i assume because i can't say because i'm not i assume that that kind of freedom is probably very very cathartic and it, it gives a sense of okay my voice matters which is another version of representation but I found Alyssa Cole on Twitter, God, I think in 2018. Uh, I started replying to someone else that was on there, and I just started Twitter and started the podcast. And I'm like, oh, I like this lady. She's smart. And I love smart women because I think that you can be smart in so many different ways, and it matters, and it adds up, and all that kind of stuff works together. And I was just really into Alyssa Cole and then a Duke by default happened to go on sale. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, definitely going to try that just because I loved the again, the Regency trope kind of inverted and, and twisted and flopped on its head. Um, in this episode, I should add that I'm probably not going to talk about the love interest Tavish very often. I, I don't see anything wrong with Tavish. OK, let me rephrase that. I do not have a thing wrong with him. I think he's amazing. But there's just so much to Portia in this book. And I want to talk about her because I think that it covers a lot of... Well, okay, so representation matters. And in this case, there's parts of her personality that absolutely re reflect me and who I am and what I am. And I want to talk about that because I want to... I want to give you guys a little bit of insight into me as well and not just Carrie and not just Alyssa and not just Portia. Like I want you guys to to see where I fall in this because there's a lot of comments that I think fit my life that I was not expecting because I'm not a lot like Portia in most like 
outwardly appearances and most inner appearances, but there are some things that really strike home. So I'm going to talk about her a lot. And uh, like I said, I haven't seen her in uh, Princess in Theory. I, I just, I haven't. I haven't read it. I bought it though. It was on sale for $1.99, which pro tip everybody, check if you, if you read ebooks, check on Amazon fairly often because Avon has a tendency to put really good books on sale really cheap for like a couple of days. So I wanted to let you guys know because that's how I got, again, Duke by Default, A Princess in Theory. That's how I got like most of Tessa Dare's books, some Sarah McLean <laughs> books. So there's a thing. Um, but I, I really want to discuss about Portia and... I did a short poll. I actually was going to put this afterwards, but I'm going to talk about the poll now because the poll is pretty interesting. So on Twitter, occasionally I'll get like a little pip in my step and I want to add something. And this time it was a poll and I only did it for about 14 or 15 hours because I was going to record this a couple of days ago and well, life got in the way there. But I want to know what was your favorite choice of her traits. And I have three choices. Plus I said, you know, comments because you can only do that. So I added loyalty, cleverness, attitude, or explain below. And what was interesting was, was 50% went to loyalty and 50% went to attitude. And I find that very interesting because attitude to me is not a negative. Attitude is how you present yourself and what you feel about yourself. And I think that that's a really informative thing and a very important thing. So I was all about it. And... I didn't get any comments in the, in the poll, but I think it's very indicative of why people respond to Portia because she's so loyal. She's so there. She will take everything on herself if she sees it. And I think that also comes, that kind of combines a little bit with her attitude because her attitude is shit's got to get done. Someone's got to do it. So she just does it. She finds a way of, of making things work better. And like when she gets to the, to the um, apprenticeship, okay. So to back up a little bit, uh, Portia gets an internship at a sword makers for like three months in the UK and she gets there and it's just kind of a curmudgeonly guy that's, you know, kind of a right asshole. She's thinks she's defending a woman and she like takes him out the only way she knows how. Turns out it's Tavish and that was his sister-in-law, I believe Cheryl, but the point is, is she's very like, okay, proactive. That's, that's what she is. That's part of her attitude is proactivity. And along the way, she discovers that they don't really have a social media. They don't really have any kind of thing that really makes them stand out that people don't understand, which is hella important in the not in modern day marketing and in modern day being seen, but also in finding a new audience because I mean we all need audiences now the world is built on online advertising and when she creates an Instagram post and when she creates all these little things it creates a hashtag sword bay which if you saw that going around a while back that was why and it creates this kind of great narrative that allows her to control what's being seen and a lot of people were responding especially women because man there's no question about it. if you're on twitter there's a lot of pretty pictures going around of men women and not just you know there's a lot of trans um viewpoints on there and i say that because i don't want to call out the wrong association because there's a lot more to our gender identities and our sexual our, our sexual appreciations, like what turns us on. So I don't want to overtake that. But the point is, is if you turn on Twitter, you're going to see some pictures that make you a little bit parched. Let's put it that way. So I think it was really important that everyone kind of noticed that about her. And, uh, you know, even when shit went bad in the book, Portia was there to fix it. That's what she does. That's just her basic reality. And I will get into her things in just a minute because this is going to be a long episode. Expect it because there's a lot of Portia that I think deserves that deserves to be talked about. Okay, so let's talk about Portia, actual Portia, not just talking about what well, us talking about Portia. Okay, 
she's really snarky in her observations. She's got a very real look to her and she's got a very like sometimes almost sardonic edge and I really appreciate that because she goes Portia's annoyance pushed any appreciation of his attractiveness Tavish, and the mingled relief and disappointment that he was still talking strictly business to the background of her mind if you're going to rely on sexist cliches at least get some fresh material and if I do break a nail off I'll be I'll, it'll be someplace extremely unpleasant for you oh god I love that it's got such a Beatrice-ness to it. Or to your sugar baker or whoever the hell you want to talk about. Okay. That's my cat note. That's another one. Women have, they know, have no problem saying shit. She also says, Actually, I don't want to know, she said quickly, waving her hands. It wasn't too hard to figure out given his past behavior. But when you talk about fake personas and silly rituals, remember that some of us can't opt out of that stuff. Before I even open my mouth, I'm judged based on whether I'm perceived to be pretty enough or be wearing the right thing, not too revealing, not too frumpy, not too cheap looking, not too fancy. When I talk, it's whether I'm articulate enough. So while you're rightfully annoyed by this, just remember that at least half of the population has to adapt, adopt these fake personas and silly rituals just to get through the day. And that's because he was talking about how people were kind of degrading a little bit about his sword bayness and his hotness that was kind of going around social media. And she's just like, who the fuck you talking to? This is everyday life for a woman. And I'm almost positive it's going to be even harder if you're a black woman. Because the world has a tendency to kind of shit on them a lot, huh? And there's just, there's something about, even among the chaos, she's not like Reggie. Reggie is her twin. She's in a wheelchair now because of an illness when they were younger. And that's when Portia started to kind of invert into herself a little bit. She used to hide away. She used to kind of disappear to the art museums and she would get lost in the history and she'd get lost in the minutiae in order to not deal with what was right in front of her. And Reggie is not that. Reggie's geniusness is more of an applied version, whereas Portia's is more of a human aspect of it. Like she's much more psychologically able to read things than I think Reggie is. Reggie has got, like, the chick with glasses, which makes me laugh because anybody that's online knows about the guy with the glasses, um, which is a website that kind of talks about women and geekdom and fandom and all that kind of stuff, which really hits a lot of buttons for, you know, a lot of us that are geeky and we're okay with that. And I, th I think it's really nice to see them being very different in how they approach social media and online media. Because I think they have some direct overlaps, but Portia and Reggie's knowledge and viewpoint of that is pointed in different directions. And I think that's really smart to kind of convey. Portia is fairly extroverted. She seems to enjoy the, the rituals of that, but I don't think she's entirely because I think she's very introverted and she needs to go relax and hide away. Whereas Reggie seems to be best hiding away and not being seen and kind of pushing that away. But I will say that Reggie and Portia have got a strong, strong relationship because it was through Reggie's push for Portia to watch an episode or I guess not an episode, but a channel on her network about being ADHD and how to handle it. And it gave Portia some clarity and a chance to like, hold on to that instead of taking it away but there's also <laughs> a different kind of of geekiness and dorkiness so Reggie is geeky like straight up you know Doctor Who she can talk for it for days whereas Portia tells Cheryl again Tavish's sister-in-law that I think there's been some misunderstanding Portia said I'm not a geek, but I am a dork. There's a Ren Fair every year at the park near where my friend Letty lived in Manhattan, and I used to drag her along with me. So it kind of gives you an idea of her dorkiness is more history-based, more just a different base structure than, you know, Reggie and, like I guess said, Doctor Who, which she would get along with Cheryl about because Cheryl has got her restaurants. It's very Doctor Who-inspired. But there's just something very truthful and honest and genuine and authentic about her love of artwork and history and architecture and all the things that make the world beautiful. It's just, it's a different way of seeing it than, you know, her sister. And, oh my God, Portia, she is so vulnerable at some times. And it's just like, I, I can't even express how much 
I enjoy her vulnerability because it's something that as women were told to be vulnerable, but we're, we're not supposed to show it, right? Like we're supposed to be everything and nothing all at once. And Portia has this ability to be vulnerable and to lay her heart out in a way that it makes you want to just kind of like cuddle her up and protect her because it's just so genuine in what she's saying and what she's doing. <laughs> There's one scene that really, really got to me though. It's, I agree. Jamie, for instance, used a keyboard to place the printed advert and look at where that got me. He gestured in her general direction. Tavis is a dickhole, by the way. Portia faltered. Tav's verbose jab had hit a soft spot and one that had been hidden under a sea of distractions for years and had only just begun to harden. She had no witty comeback for someone telling her they didn't want her around. It reinforced what they, that ugly voice in the back of her head whispered at the most inopportune moments. No one would care if you left and never came back. Oh my God, as women, how vulnerable are we in that way? How much do we hold that? I have that every day right now where I am because I'm afraid I'm not wanted. I know that's a bullshit lie, but there's this little insidious voice in your head that just kind of like constantly whispers, you're not good enough. You're not brighting enough. You're not doing enough. You're not, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not. And I felt it last year and I feel it this year even more. And I understand where Portia is coming from. And I think that if anyone were to read the book, they would understand as well. There's a very clear, there's a very clear knowledge and love and vulnerability in saying I'm not good enough so why do you want me here and I mean Portia God bless her does not always make the correct decision but she makes the best at the time so a duke by default basically follows the the same tropes as a regency of someone suddenly a duke and doesn't know why or how and I'm not going to go into that too much because I, that side of Tav and, and Portia's relationship is genuinely some amazing stuff. Watching her teach him how to be the person that he should be. A lot of it is based on her parents are extremely wealthy. They have got a ton of business. They've got a ton of international contacts. And she grew up around that. So she understands how to perform to that to that kind of an audience and she can teach him that she can teach him all the requirements plus she's got like this amazing memory so if she reads it she can see it and understand it pretty fast and she knows she's not going to necessarily leave him in the best situation when they when they depart because her three months are up at some point but she still does a really good job of trying to prepare him and she's so loyal to them like she's loyal to cheryl by kind of pushing out the little restaurant and you know getting people to see it because it's right in front of the the building where they have the sword swordery and there's just something very genuine about that and I think that sometimes it gets misconstrued by other people in the story and that kind of drives me crazy because I mean to be fair we're seeing Portia's point of view for the most point um but there's still this very like innocence you want to protect and I don't mean that in the innocent like you know some of the really bad tropes of romance in the 70s I mean innocence of innocence in the best way the 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 belief in humans the belief in goodness the belief in kindness the belief in doing what's right and there's an innocence to that and I think that that Porsche does a really good job of portraying that <laughs> and I have to admit like her need to be useful and the exuberance of it is super familiar to me super freaking familiar like I'm that's who I am like I when I was working last year I worked over 40 hours a week sometimes because I saw something need to be done I I saw that, that there was something that had to be fixed it was fixed we were good we were in we were we had it knowledgeable we had it going through you know her versions are slightly familiar to maybe someone that's a little bit younger than me because I'm an older millennial. I was born in 81. So there's quite a change in between 81 and say 90. Like there's just, there's a completely different um, reality of, of what we were exposed to, but I understand it. And I kind of wish I had her social media skills because woman had that on lock. 
Like there was no question she knew how to make that work and she knew how to get that point of view and she could instantly read it, the marketing side of it. But I just appreciated her need to try and help. She tried to help Tav, she tried to help Cheryl, she tried to help people find better. And and find better not as in like more money, but better as in feeling as if what they were doing had value. And there's something very lovely about that, you know? And I like her independence. I mean, don't get me wrong. Her independence can be somewhat of an issue, but she has the same she does the same thing that I do sometimes, and that's to retreat within themselves after something just makes that that voice kind of go inside your head. Because I'll be honest, there's a lot of times on this podcast where I thought I didn't need to continue. Like, I didn't think anybody was listening. I didn't think anybody was paying attention. I didn't think anyone cared what I had to say. And that voice still comes back every once in a while. And sometimes I kind of retreat and I get it and I get when she does that. And that independence can be a problem then because <laughs> you fall back into your own cycle. And it's very hard to break those kind of cycles. But there's something about it that... that her independence is very real and it's very honest. And she's coming from a place of saying, hey, look, I'm more than what you expect. I'm not the flighty ditz that my parents think I am. While Reggie is this amazing person, like I have value, you know, when I think about it, basically. And there's a scene in here because I have a lot of scenes, by the way, for this one more than normal. But Tav shifted his bulk, leaning back into his seat. So you're just waiting to see what she fits, eh, Fracarella? She didn't quite like that comparison. People focused so much on the prince slipping on Cinderella's lost shoe that they didn't realize the real happily ever after was the moment she realized she was brave enough to go to that damn ball alone in the first place. I'm not waiting around for some fuckboy to bring me a shoe. I'm here working for you. I'm finding my own shoe. She said, do you know how hard finding the perfect pair of shoes is? Wait, I've seen your shoes. You don't. There's just something very solid and knowledgeable about herself like she's realizing that she's been kind of codependent and she's been kind of like rootless and 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 there's nothing to hold her where she needs to be and she's working on that and that's why she came to this apprenticeship she thought okay i can do this for myself i can say what i need to say and by god i matter and oh my god i love that there's just so much of that that's amazing but she also says, you know, like, fuck you for thinking that I'm less than what I am. I'm not waiting for someone to come rescue me. I'm not sitting by. I'm not, you know, waving my fan in front of, you know, 15 other Lord and Duke's face. I'm saying I'm here. So go the fuck away. I've done my part. You guys, what you want to do, that's your issue, not mine. I love that. And I think that the use of fuckboy was kind of amazing. I loved it. Especially for a publication, like a, for like a, a print, not an indie print. That was just such a great, unexpected, joyful moment. Okay, so before we go to the next section, I told you it was going to be a long episode. I am going to insert a promo for Hot and Bothered, which is another romance reading genre podcast for us. And I want you guys to give it a listen and you guys can find them at the ROM pod on Twitter. Because again, that's where I'm mostly at all the time. So I can't tell you any of the places. If you guys want to listen up, I'll be back. I think we can all agree that 2017 was a rough year, but I did develop a very stringent ritual in my life in 2017, which is that at 10 o'clock every night, I would start reading the news. At 10.15 every night, I would start having a panic attack. From around 10.15 to 10.45, I would either be doing research as to how to prepare for the apocalypse, or I would start donating large sums of money that I don't have to organizations that I thought would help prevent the impending apocalypse. And I started noticing that the thing that I would do every night so I could fall asleep was read romance novels. It was like the emotional or mental equivalent of sucking my thumb. So what ended up happening during those few months where there were all of the storms just constantly hitting in the United States, I read 27 romance novels in those two months. And all of them are by my favorite romance author, Julia Quinn. Hi, Julia. Hi. 
I'm Vanessa Zoltan, and this is Hot and Bothered, where New York Times best-selling romance novelist Julia Quinn teaches us all how to write a romance novel. Subscribe wherever you find your podcasts, and join us in October of 2018 for our first full-length episode. Talk to you then. Okay, guys, and welcome back. Now, we're going to get to the last-ish half of this, Woo, hopefully. And there's some things in here I kind of want to talk about. And there's scenes that usually I have, you know, like family, blah, blah, blah. But in this episode, seriously, it was all about Portia. So I didn't want to break it down that way. But there were some scenes that absolutely struck me and and made me. I understood it because I understood where it came from, because I've had the same thing said to me by Sven often. And sometimes we need little reminders that who we are is not necessarily what we see ourselves as. And we have a tendency to kind of downplay who we are, especially as women. Or what we do gets taken by somebody else or put in the wrong place. So, this is Tav talking to Portia. I wish you could see yourself through someone else's eyes. Mine. You can think what you want about yourself, but I have two eyes and a brain in my head, and the view right now, it's bloody brilliant. Very, very familiar statements I've heard in the past without the bloody brilliant part, but the whole point. And then here's another part. Christ, the two of you. Now you can see how frustrating it is trying to give a compliment, Freckles. Tav asked, shifting closer to her as he tugged at his kilt. Part of her was taken aback by his gruff words, but then his fingers brushed over the back of her hand and she realized that someone being annoyed because they thought you were greater than you could imagine was perhaps not the worst situation one could find themselves in. I haven't been in that situation, but the sentiment has been delivered to me. Trust me. And it kind of bothered, it kind of like bonded me to Portia in a way that I don't know if I can explain entirely. But if you've ever had self-doubts about yourself, if you've ever wondered what was wrong with you, if you've ever had those kind of feelings, it's a big deal. And to see it on paper, you kind of can see it from the other person's point of view about yourself. And it's very illuminating and it tells me some things that maybe I need to work on on myself. Because if I'm good enough for someone, if, if I'm good enough the way I am, if I don't have to change who I am, if I am that person for somebody, then it's okay to accept myself the way that I am. Like, I don't give a shit what you say about my weight. I am fat and I'm okay with it. That is not a thing. But the internal stuff, I can sometimes not always listen to. And I think it's a really nice reminder of Alyssa to, to kind of give women that, that bump of, hey, you know, you, you are important. You do matter. And your brilliance is not dependent on somebody else. It's only in what you can do within yourself. And then there's another one that really kind of stuck tight and it was her talking to him well then why would you need me she asked in a flat tone that left Tav confused depending on what word was emphasized by emotions that question could have several different meanings with different answers i can think of loads of reason for why i need you and no not just for sex before you go there for example you're bloody magnificent and you're smart as fuck and you can do literally anything you put your mind to again let me roll back to that other like you know minute ago and say that that's very familiar in that. And there's something that that shows their relationship. And it shows, I get the flat voice. I do the same thing. When I get flat, that means that something's wrong. Because you hear me. I have a very inflective voice. Like, I don't go flat. And I understood exactly what she was doing in that moment. She was shutting down. She was saying, you don't need me. So why am I here for you? You, you don't have anything interested for me. You're not someone that wants me around right and I get it because I've I still struggle with that all the time and Tav Tav has to find the right words to unlock that for Portia and I think he does a really good job but I, I think it also shows a lot about Portia because when you've been abandoned or had your faith shaken by someone words are useless fuck words words give you exactly nothing there's no action to back those words up, so what does it matter? And I think that's part of Portia's thing is, is people say lots of things, but they don't necessarily give the right things. And that kind of shows away. And she needs to she needs to be seen without having to explain why. Like you don't want to have to be the one to explain all the time what's going on. And 
it's a hard skill for a lot of people to get. So I will say good on Tav for understanding that that's exactly what she needed in that exact time. She needed someone to listen. She needed someone to care. She needed someone to give them what they they could offer in that time. And it's a just it's it's a terrific scene. And I think you guys would probably the whole thing you would probably fall all over, and and your whole world would kind of tilt a little bit because we all know people like Portia and we all know people like Tav and seeing that that moment is just a beautiful reflection okay and then there's a fun little scene because <laughs> Cole is, does not always write everything to be heavy sometimes she writes funny things and in this scene I just laughed and had notes about it it's like Oh my god, I need to get a video of this. Tav glanced over to find Portia tugging her cell phone out from between her breasts. You keep things in there? He asked in a choked voice, trying not to look there in front of the crowd. He was so taken back that he couldn't even be annoyed by her wanting to record him. Because they're at the run fair for this. Yes, she said, busy navigating to her camera app. Most women's clothing doesn't have pockets. Titty pockets are a functional adaptation. Woo, titty pockets, Cheryl said, ruminating on the descriptor. I call it my chub shelf, but I like that too. And oh my God, <laughs> I love that because I don't use my boobs in that way, but I know a lot of women that do. And it can be really helpful because as pointed out, if y'all have ever tried to find like a black pair of pants that have pockets for fat people, good luck. And that fit me because I'm only 5'1". Good luck. So I get it. You have to put what you got where. And if you've got a big enough boob shelf, you can just put that shit on there and roll, right? And from a completely like non-related image, part of me also sees it. If anyone's ever watched 90 Day Fiance, if you've ever watched Angela, I suddenly just have this image of this, which is kind of like imagining like 1987 or 88 Roseanne pulling a phone out of her bra at that point. Because, I mean, they didn't have them back then, but it's the same idea. So it kind of makes me laugh because I, I abhor Angela on 90 Day Fiance against, I mean, she's everything I don't want to be, but it's just so common to see her pull things out of her boobs. And I'm just like, I actually know women when I was living in the South that did that a lot. And I was like, hmm, that's, that's familiar. I can relate. So those were some of the scenes that stuck and, and they kind of like created this, this backdrop of, of ideas. But I also want to talk about their romance. Because their romance is something that's very important to Portia. And like I said, I've kind of ignored Tav. And Tav's storyline is basically like, through happen circumstance, he's got a, a dukedom he qualifies for. And there's this whole like subplot about like, you know, family members not liking it, which is again, very Regency. So if you like Regency books, you're going to love this book, even though it's set in modern contemporary times. I think it really works. But there's... There's something to the vulnerability and the buildup and the communication because, as Tav said, it's not just sex. Like, you can get sex in, from pretty much anywhere. I mean, he would not be hard up to find sex because he's a hot guy with a really hot accent. And he's built like a machine because he does sword play all day and actually builds swords. But he, it doesn't matter because it doesn't matter if he's sword bay or not. The The first one that I found was... This kiss was not what he had imagined, because of course he'd imagined kissing her already. In his fantasy, she had been aggressive and take charge, pulling him down and wrapping her legs around him. But this kiss was hesitant. Though she had initiated it, soft and just a whisper of sensitive skin rubbing over sensitive skin, as if she was prepared to pull away and run off any second. Couldn't be having that, can we? Tav's arms slipped around her waist and pulled her up flush against him, angling his neck so that his mouth was fit firmly against hers. She moaned as cock tightened, thickened in his jeans, and pressed against her as if urging her on. There's something really sexually gratifying about that, even though there was no sex. And what I mean by that is, is the sensuality, the connection, the push-pull that they had been creating, the fact they were trying to deny that they were attracted to each other, all that stuff kind of built up into this great episode of of need and want and yet there was that vulnerability and Portia's vulnerability to me is one of her best assets and I like the fact that it showed that while she could do something she doesn't necessarily need to do them and then they are talking about 
a scene again at the Ren Fair, which she she gets he goes to the Ren Fair anyway, but she's kind of like, okay, we should use this as our benefit. This is great for the company. It's great for you. It's great for drumming up business. It's great for getting everything we need. And so here she goes. Pull out your sword, she commanded, and Tab was certain it was the sexiest thing a woman had ever uttered to him. He did as he was told, carefully, and he held it out in front of him as if warding off attackers. She leaned up on her tiptoes, arms holding him more tightly for balance and somehow unaware that her breasts were pressing into his side. Turn it so people can see the craftsmanship, she whispered in his ear. This is a marketing opportunity. Show that ornate hilt. Portia dropped back under her soles of her boots. Her arms around his waist pulled him closer, and he draped one hand free over her shoulder for lack of anything better to do with it. He tried to smile, but he was sure it was more of a grimace. She was so close and so soft, and there was that lovely scent of hers again. Plus, she was holding a deadly weapon, and her stance wasn't half bad. Fuck. This was a miserable experience, learning to feel her curves pressed up against him. Now that his body knew, it wouldn't soon forget. And then the photographer snapped the picture for the paper and all, the, all that. But it was a very sensual scene, I think. Learning and seeing and feeling and tasting and, and the opportunity and not being able to use it. But also realizing that she had the ability to stand proper because he had been training her and there was a whole bunch of stuff. Like she was demanding to be counted in this. And there's just something very gratifying when you read that because it's like you can see the you can see them working as a unit in that moment and I think that that was unbelievably necessary for her because she was finally learning to stand on her own even if someone was there to help hold her up she was still creating her own narrative and she wasn't being flighty and she wasn't scared of herself she wasn't worried she wasn't trying to run away from the the darkness that pulls and the loneliness that kind of settles in your in your soul and it just it's this great moment where you can see her showing her competency and oh my god competency is the best porn for me it is if you are good at what you do and i can read about it i am so on board with you i don't need the sexy times i really don't i need the sensual times and there's <laughs> There's one scene that, again, hits very close to home, and I think it's just, it's very important to me to read it, and so it's him and her talking. Isn't that some advice you should heed yourself? Self-depreciation is your stock in trade. It's different from me, she responded, quickly, annoyed, because everything I say is true. She says this to herself. Don't sell yourself short just because you didn't go to a fancy school and learn all the ways money can be used to make someone feel small. His fingertips brushed her elbow, trailed up her forearm, leaving a wake of goosebumps, and then his fingers encircled her waist. Thank you, Squire. I'll agree to that if you'll do me one better and don't sell yourself short full stop. It's interesting to see their inadequacies and how they feel about them and how they go together. Because she had the right education. She had everything that she could possibly want. But it wasn't enough. And for him, he, you know, found how to be a swords maker. He learned how to be, you know, that, that guy who made his own way and who learned and who taught, like, different martial arts and all kinds of things and kind of created a space for the kids that he had needed and continuing that tradition. And... There's just something about them both realizing that they have to put those old haunts and those old feelings and those old sayings away in order to be a good partner. And I don't necessarily mean a romantic partnership with this. I mean a partner as in someone that's helping the other to succeed as people, as individuals. And I, I just I think it's really important because I think she needed that. And Portia desperately needed to be seen and heard and to be feel relevant and to have that back. Portia is a goddamn delight. Portia is someone that I would like to know if she were real. Portia is someone that I think more books need to include. A character like Portia, not, not a copy of Portia because Portia is her own self. But someone that kind of fills that gap that sometimes gets forgotten about being flighty isn't always ditzy. Sometimes flighty is just the world spinning too slow for what's going on in your head and in your mind. 
I think the ADHD thing is just an overlooked element and I hope and and I'm almost praying and I don't pray for Romance Landia and the romance writers to kind of focus on that and to find a way to include people into this reality. In other words, Portia is fucking perfect. Okay, guys, so I'm going to do a little wrap up here. And the wrap up is there's a couple things. One, if you are following me on Twitter, continue to do so. A, because a couple weeks ago, I gave a random giving out of a book. Like I did the poll this week. I'm just, I'm trying to be engaging, but I also want to promote things that I think necessarily may not be seen. And I'm constantly retweeting other authors and I'm constantly talking to them. And I, I want you guys to kind of join in on the conversations. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Damsels Podcast. You can also find us on Patreon, which the lowest one is $2, but even if you give a dollar, just let me know. Um, I have no problem doing that. We have some more episodes coming up soon on that. I have to record them because I have to make my notes. However, I have some things planned for that one. You can also find us at deconstructing-damsels.pinecast.co, which is the official location for this podcast. You may probably already found it, but you may not. It's available there. If someone doesn't want to download or put me on a podcatcher, we're also on Spotify. I don't know for how long, but we're there. And you can email us at damselspodcast at gmail.com. Now, this one is very important because I'm looking for someone that would like to read Good Girl by Piper Larson. Uh, Lawson, sorry, for March. If you would get back to me, that would be great. I'm in Germany, but I can schedule around you. That's whatever. And I mentioned that because February and March, we're going to have more guest hosts. We've got several podcasters that are going to be joining us, and we've got a variety of books. We have one Regency and three contemporary, but they're all different kind of contemporaries and little, like sub subgenres. I don't know how you want to put them. We're going to try and release again on the 15th and the 30th or somewhere around there every month. And I just kind of want you guys to enjoy the podcast, you know? So if you have any questions, you know where to find me because I just listed them all. If you would like to comment, you know where to find me. If you would like to leave a, a review on iTunes, because I keep forgetting to mention that, go for it. I'm going to probably start reading them soon. So if you will give me any kind of feedback, I'd love it. All other things... Have fun, guys. I can't wait to see you at the end of the month when we're covering My Boyfriend is a Bear, which is a romance comic that was asked by Patron D for us to read. And Spin will be back for a small segment for that. And after that, we'll see what's going on. Bye, guys. Mm-hmm.